Well, hey everyone, and welcome to another edition of Overtime. It's been about a month since we've done one of these. Long time. We or had a, a few year. Things. Yeah, <laughs> or a year. Get it? New December years. of last year. So I made that we, joke way too many times. We are glad that you are here with us today. There was a few things like as Christmas, the week following that, staff had off, so we didn't do overtime then. Mm -hmm. And then I got sick with COVID, and then we had a guest speaker, so we didn't have like so anyway, we are glad that you are here. We have missed you. I have missed you. Maybe you've missed us, or maybe you haven't even noticed that we haven't been gone. Either way, we're glad that you're listening now. So for those of you that I don't know, or you don't know me, my name is Ben. That's I'm, Christian. Hey, how you doing? And this is what we call Overtime. Overtime is our weekly podcast, where it should be weekly. I mean, it was or monthly. monthly. <laughs> uh, but it's our weekly podcast where we get to do a little bit deeper dive into the weekend message. So this past week, as we were in week two of our road trip series that we started at the brand new year on January 2nd, week two is just this past week. Christian was able to share with us. And so today we're going to dive into that. We're in Luke chapter 18. Feels like we've been in chapter 18 for a long time. Yeah. But we're in Luke chapter 18, verses. 31 through 34. So we're going to jump into that. But before we do, we always like to give you kind of a heads up of some of the things that are happening mm -hmm. in the church. So what I wanted to just kind of let you know about is that next Wednesday, so as we record this, it is actually January 18th. Well, on January 26th is the relaunch of our next semester of Cow. Cow is our midweek offering. It stands for Connect on Wednesday. Basically, we have a meal at 530 at 630. There's usually classes and things for for middle schoolers, high schoolers, uh, children, adults, their Celebrate Recovery. We are relaunching that, but specifically on the 26th, we are relaunching with a night of worship, mm. prayer, and testimony. So similar to how we started last semester's cow with a night of worship, we are going to be doing that on January 26th. So we won't have the traditional classes for children or for youth or for adults. There is a Celebrate Recovery group that is still meeting. So if you're connected to that, you should know all about that. But we are going to be starting this semester with a night of worship, prayer, and testimony. So we're super excited for that. We will have a meal. I'm pretty sure that it's soup and sandwiches that night. Yeah, so it should be a good menu. So soup and sandwiches at about 5.30, $5 suggested donation per person, up to 25 per family. Um, and then at 6.30, we will start that worship night element of that night. So we would love for you to be there. Then the following week on February 2nd, all of the normal classes and kind of the normal schedule will resume. And CR's got a brand new class that's coming there. So we want to let you know about that. That's again, January 26th is our relaunch. We would encourage you to check out our newsletter where it's got all the up-to-date information. If you go to clcfamily.church news, you'll be able to see the most recent newsletter. And from there, you can hear all of the different updates and things that we've got going on. Yep. So wanted to let you know that before we jumped in, but... With that, that was a lot. we can jump in. Yeah, I, I feel so. like I feel like I've got all these extra words because it's been weeks yeah. since we've done overtime. Trying to make up for lost time. I, I am. So this is our special two hour. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. It's not. It's over overtime. It's, it's <laughs> we're way over overtime. overtime. Yeah. yeah. So we are. I promise we will keep it to an hour or less if we run out of time. But yeah. as you can see, I have plenty of words. Yeah. We, um, <laughs> we will keep it to an hour. We promise. All right. Or around an hour. We'll just if say you that. promise, then then they're gonna hold you to it. I, I need to make sure that I do that now. So anyway, do you want to give us a, a review of what we talked about yeah. on week two for a this road review? Trip? Will be about an hour and five minutes. So <laughs> Ben breaks his promise. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. So we're in the book of Luke, as you guys know. Uh, this last Sunday was kind of an interesting moment where Jesus is getting close to Jerusalem, which we all understand Jerusalem is gonna be the place where the culmination of his ministry happened. Um, 
I know we always fill in the backstory of, you know, we know this is going to be what happens in Jerusalem, right? And so as he's journeying, Jesus pulls the disciples aside for this holy huddle of sorts. Um, and he tells them what they can expect in Jerusalem, uh, which is not what they expect to happen in Jerusalem, even though Jesus has told them time and time again of what they can expect. And so Jesus stops and he says everything that the prophets have written about are going to come uh, to fruition in Jerusalem, this, this city that we are about to enter. And then Jesus starts referencing all of these things that are to happen in Jerusalem, which are things that people have prophesied about. And they're all negative, right? They're all terrible things that you would not want to focus on. Um, Jesus doesn't focus about any of the glory, any of the good things that happen, right? When we go on vacation, I use Disney World as an example. Whenever I go on vacation and I get close to Disney World when we drive, um, <laughs> I always expect, I start to think about all the things that we're going to do. You know, I'm going to go to this restaurant and eat this food. I'm going to go to this park and ride this ride. I'm going to buy this souvenir, right? You always have that checklist of items that you're thinking about. And usually they're all great. You don't look, you don't, you know, hyper-focus on the negative things. You don't say, I'm going to pay this much money at this restaurant. I'm going to, you know, wrangle my kids because they're going to be loud and noisy. Uh, I'm going to pay this much for this souvenir. You don't think about the negatives. You kind of think about the positives. And so in this moment, the disciples are thinking about the glory that awaits them. But Jesus is thinking about the shame that awaits them. The, the disciples think of this throne, right? This idea of an earthly kingdom that Jesus will take over. But Jesus is thinking about a cross. And so they're very different things. And so Jesus has this moment to remind them of what it is they can expect. Uh, and it's really, really important, actually, that they get it. Because as I kind of wrapped up the sermon, um, a lot of times we live, our, our, our understanding of things and our expectations of things shape and inform how it is that we participate yeah. in things, right? If I, if I, um, I use the well, following the Eagles as an example. I thought they were lost cause at the beginning of the season, right? They lost which, six, which they ended up being a lost cause. <laughs> Didn't know that my, on Sunday. My, my yeah. team too. Yeah, his team before the Eagles actually. You know what, everybody uh, got And whipped. by a lot. Yeah, you know, the Patriots lost by weekend. so much. Um, <laughs> deflecting right now. Yeah, I am. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, my understanding of the Eagles at the beginning of the season is that, that they were lost cause. It, it was just going to be a terrible season. And so how that would inform my participation is I don't want to follow a lost cause. So I would bail. Like I started not watching the games. I didn't want to talk about the games. I just kind of avoided it because of my understanding of what was happening. And so Jesus is trying to get the disciples to understand what is happening, not so that they would bail, but that they would participate. Um, but since the disciples thought that it was a lost cause, since they thought that Jesus' arrest and uh, later on his crucifixion were not part of their plan, it was not within the realm of their understanding, they ended up bailing. And so what we want to gather here, what we want to be careful of is one, that we have the correct expectations for who God is and what God is up to so that we can participate with our whole lives, right? Not so that we would bail. So that's kind of the summary of the um of the sermon of Luke 18 verses 31 to 34 is that we might grow aware and grow familiar with a, a, a healthy and accurate expectation of who God is so that we can still participate in what God is doing. Because the whole reason why the church exists, the whole reason why we're here is because we think that Jesus is worth following even the crucified Christ, right? And the, uh, 
and then later on the resurrected Christ. We believe that Jesus is worth following even though we can't always get his plan, even though we don't always understand it, even though it's way better and different than anything that we could anticipate. And so the hope is that we are continuing to participate each and every day, um, even in our lack of understanding. So Yeah, I feel like this, this message yeah. really kind of hits on expectation. And yeah. I feel like it, no matter how long I've been you know, walking with Jesus, I've been a disciple of his, like, Mm -hmm. there's still this continuous conversation that I need to have that examines my expectation of Jesus. And is it, am I trying to mold Jesus into who I think he should be? Or is Jesus molding me into who he thinks I should be? So I want to get into that and even how to, maybe some direct questions of going, how do we change our perspective? How do we change our expectations in that? But we'll get to that in a second. As we jumped into this, this is only the second week of Mm -hmm. our series called Road Trip. As you said, we're with Jesus as he's traveling to Jerusalem. Do you prefer, like you, you prefer car trips over flying uh you know it's it's Even like some things you shared an experience too i did yeah, like, yeah that was not i imagine not super pleasant yeah no it's like um it's like a lot of things in life you might not prefer it but you do it um we drive a lot because in part we take our dog to a lot of places sure. that we go to we don't take our dog to disney um but like we'll go to mississippi and we bring our dog yeah and we actually can't fly with our boxer um, so, uh, so a lot of times we drive, it's not my first choice, but we do it. I actually, for the first time in, since COVID booked a flight, I'll be flying to Nashville in April for a couple okay. of days for a conference. But, um, yeah, so sometimes, uh, yeah, it's not always a preference, but we do it. But I think, and I think it's in part, my wife, I, I don't know if she <laughs> cares for my saying this, uh, online, but no, she doesn't like to fly a lot, which I get it. Okay. Um, there's some, some days that, you know, I don't prefer to fly. Um, so, but we're jumping into that this year and stuff. So, um, yeah, so usually most of the time we drive, uh, which I'm really good at it driving long, long distance. Uh, just kind of keep myself alert and awake and stuff. And, and I can actually get a lot of work done in the car too. So it does create some space for that. So, and and cause Jesus would do that. That's the (laughs) biggest reason is Jesus travels by land. So So maybe this just (laughs) reveals how much more I need Jesus. But like in the first week I talked about, I am not a huge fan of road trips, right? Like, and I, I've, I, like in my college days, I was with a group that we traveled up and down the East Coast. Um, I did 15 years of youth ministry. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I've oh, spent man. a lot of time in a van, a 15 passenger van. Yeah. Half the time probably yeah, yeah. driving that I, man, road trips are really tough for me. Yeah. Like I know it's that saying that it's not about the destination. It's, it's about, about the, the journey. journey. And That's I'm not going, always true. No, I just yeah. want to get to wherever <laughs> we're getting to. Yeah. But in the first week, what I mentioned is that, man, Jesus didn't have like this exciting destination that he was driving towards right like uh, he was driving towards his death and i can Mm. only imagine what that must have been like so uh, i don't know it's just interesting as we think about that and as we talk about road trip i did appreciate the uh the story of getting stuck kind of in the snow because that was like two three weeks ago it was very long ago i was not happy that morning (laughs) i was i was and i said this on sunday i was such a grinch like i was just so cranky uh, you know, that we, we kind of let our guard down and we didn't pay close enough attention to know that we'd be, uh, you know, in five inches of snow. Yeah. And I was just so annoyed at myself, but you know, it's yeah. part of life. <laughs> <laughs> 
But Belle was there. She made you feel Belle was there. Maybe. She was great, kind of. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to Victoria. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks hey. for She said, welcome back. So thanks for that. We are glad to be back. It is exciting to it be back great. here. So um, as we jump into this, so uh, I wanted to kind of ask about that. But so looking at this, Jesus, verse 31, we're just going to kind of take it from there. We'll read through it and kind of discuss it as we go. But verse 31 says, then, uh, then he took the 12 aside and said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. So mm -hmm. uh, I want to maybe look at this a little bit. So Jesus is on the road, and this is literally his his destination is going to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And at this point, he's heading there for Passover. So there's probably a lot of people, and, and part of the reason that I know this is that this next story that we're going to be covering this week in week three mm -hmm. is on the same journey. It's on the same road that there's this blind it's man. Right after Jesus. this instance. Yeah, it's yeah. literally right after this. So mm -hmm. So he takes the 12 aside, and I didn't know if there's anything significant in there um, that you know of, or if there's anything to discuss there. So Jesus is in, is in the middle of his public ministry, right? So he probably has crowds of people on some level following him. Mm -hmm. There's probably a good amount of people. Now, I don't know what a lot of foot traffic looked like in that day. Does that mean <laughs> that there was like 20 people that they were all walking together? Well, Jesus and the disciples being 13 of them, right? Yeah, like. Yeah. The, or is that like they passed each other? Or I wonder what that looked like as sure. Jesus travels there. But yeah. he pulls his disciples specifically aside and he tells them, hey, everything about the prophets is going to happen. So yeah. is there any other thoughts there as we look at that? Yeah, I mean, this isn't, uh, I, don't ha I didn't have too much time Sunday to uh, go sure. into this. Or maybe I did because I was a lot shorter than I thought I'd be. Uh, but um, Whenever we I go shorter, people always appreciate it. Yeah, so I'm yeah, sure, I'm you, sure you guys great. appreciate that. Um, yeah, so this is the third time on G in Jesus' ministry that he kind of had this come to Jesus moment uh, with his disciples. Literally, like come here. Literally, yeah, come <laughs> here, guys. I'm Jesus, come to me. Uh, but, um, you know, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus pulls him aside, lets him know of his plan, like I'm going to be crucified, right? Um, and I, I, I'm kind of paraphrasing, I can't remember the exact verbiage that Jesus uses, but this, this is the third time in the Gospels that we find Jesus has his moment with them. The second time was, I think, after the Transfiguration, kind of says, you know, this is what's going to happen, this is what's in store. And then this is, I think, the most uh, important of the three, if I had to kind of label any of them that way, in part because they are so close. They're getting so close to Jerusalem. Uh, and so, you know, it's like when you're on a road trip, you leave at the beginning, you're like, this is our plan for the, you know, this is our plan for vacation. Yeah. Maybe halfway through the trip, you're like, hey guys, this is our plan. Just want to remind you. And the third time's like, we are almost pulling into yeah. the parking lot here. Uh, this is what's happening. And so, uh, and then this moment in particular is so detailed. Uh, there's a lot of details for what will happen that that should catch our attention. That um, Luke includes these details and that Jesus included these details. So I think this one is really important because Jesus is trying to remind them. This is like you know. Uh, I don't know, the 24th hour is, is, yeah. is the kind of vernacular. Um, they're they're getting down to the wire here, and Jesus is trying to... It's like game time, right? You've practiced. You've had all this practice. Now, like, we're about to go on the field. So I want you guys to be aware of this is what our play is. This is what's happening. And so this moment in particular is really important. Some scholars suggested that, you know, just like anyone who, who knows their death is imminent, they're probably a little nervous, probably a little anxious. We've seen Jesus embody this part of his humanity, uh, you know, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, as he's praying to God um, and doing these things. So maybe in this moment, there's even some nervousness and angst about this moment where he is finishing the road trip and he's trying to tell his friends, I'm going to die. 
and I hope you can stick around. I hope you can be present, you know, through this journey. Um, but then also here's the bigger picture, right? And so, yeah, really important moment. I think he's trying to remind them that because they might be excited too because, oh my gosh, a lot of people are following Jesus, this guy that we followed first, yeah. right? He's gonna he's doing miracles like this is crazy. Look at all these people journeying to Jerusalem. We're going to take it over, right? Um, so maybe he's trying to just like bring him back down to earth for a minute and remind him of what the big plan is. So, yeah, really important thing to do. Yeah, and so 31 starts with he's just kind of saying that the Son of Man, um, it, what is written, everything written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. So yeah. In my mind, I'm seeing this journey and the disciples are listening like, yeah, 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 this is it. Yeah. This is the moment. Like, yeah. this, man, Jesus is finally going to come into his kingdom and he's going to overthrow the government and he's like all of the expectation and, yeah. and the thoughts that they had. There's got to be an excitement there, which is amazing because I think even in that excitement, they, they're missing it, right? Yeah. Like yeah. their excitement was maybe so much so that they really, really missed this next verse yeah. where Jesus starts to, as you were talking about, kind of explain and expound on the negative, like the, the yeah. not negative, on the difficult things that the prophets have yeah. spoken about of mm -hmm. Jesus. So verse 32, jumping into that, it says, for he, referring to himself, the, you know, this Messiah, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles and he will be mocked and insulted and spat upon. And we'll go into 33 because it can, can, continues. Mm -hmm. It says, after they have flogged him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Yeah. So there is, I think you said this on Sunday, Jesus is very plainly speaking like okay guys layman terms everything that the prophets spoke about the beating the flogs spat upon like all of these things they're going to kill me mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you think the disciples are thinking at the time like uh-huh yeah uh -huh. um yeah you know i think uh I'd be confused, right? Like you, you're journeying and, and everything that Jesus seems to touch turns to gold or is healed, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, everything that he's done. Like imagine like Jesus been getting in debates with the Pharisees and like the way he, not that Jesus like, I'm going to destroy and like win all these arguments, but usually his teachings like, you know, they, they proved to be true or they kind of carried more weight. They were all like mic drop moments that Jesus had. And so here Jesus has been conquering everything. He's been, um, you know, showing his word to be valid and true. He's been also backing that up with how he lives and caring for people and healing people. And so it's kind of a, a if you like look back on the road trip thus far, Jesus has been killing it, like doing a great job, right? He raised people from the dead, like just incredible. And so they have this incredible track record. Now they're looking forward and they're like, what? Like, it's going to come to an end? Like, you're going to get killed, but, like, this is also your plan? Um, so, and then and then this idea of, like, um, you know, this idea that someone's so great, so yeah. someone so perfect as Jesus, why would he be on Rome's, like, the top of Rome's hit list? Right. Why right. would he be the, why would he be, <coughs> one, arrested, but then, two, flogged? Like, what has he done? He's not done anything wrong. And so... What Jesus is referencing here would have been so far removed from their imagination, right? Not only what they understood, but they couldn't even imagine this being the outcome. So far removed from their imagination uh, that it would have been shocking or they would have just been like scratching their heads like, yeah. I don't get it, right? I just don't understand, which is what we see happen, right? And so, um, which is baffling to me because I'm, I know Jesus, we've seen Jesus kind of 
work through some of this stuff. He does a lot, a lot of this in parabolic imagery where he teaches people of what is to come. Um, but he's also had come to Jesus moments with the disciples before. Um, one commentator said that they were just so uh, enwrapped in their own prejudices and their own expectations that they literally could not even step outside of them to see any other alternative, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I've been guilty of this too, where I have, I'm, my mind, I've, my wife would tell me I have an addictive personality, right? If I want to start a new hobby, like one time I was big into wood burning and I'm like, Jess, we got to drop all this money on wood burning, but don't worry, like, I'm going to make money doing this. It's going to be great, right? And I can't imagine that I'm wrong, right? I'm so addicted to this idea that I have in my brain that I can't step outside of it and do what my wife would do and like find all the flaws in this plan. Like, ah, it's not gonna work out, Christian. Um, and so they were so called addicted to their plan that they literally could not step outside of it. They were so obsessed with having a, a, a kingdom in the world that they were a part of and ruling that they couldn't step outside of that idea to see that Jesus' plans were one, different, but then two, way better than their plans. Um, and so Jesus is trying to share these things to kind of do a reality check, to try and tell them, hey, it's not going to be what you think, but I really hope you'll stick along and trust me enough to follow me. Yeah. Um, which is really difficult. Like, I don't know, I was trying to think of, like, I wouldn't be that stupid if I were a disciple, but like, I got to ask myself, like, would I have made the same mistake? Yeah. Like, if I had an expectation of someone, um, you know, would I be, uh, would I listen and have, uh, trust Jesus enough to actually listen to his word, even, even if I didn't understand it? Um, so yeah, I, I don't yeah, know. I, I feel like that's what I wanted to kind of mention is that I feel like it's easy for us to read the Bible and be like, man, these silly Idiots. disciples, like yeah. Jesus clearly told you. Yeah. And, and I feel like, man, if I'm being honest though, how many times do I do that same exact thing that yeah. I think that God is going to move and work in this way. And when he doesn't, there's disappointment or there's uh, maybe frustration, maybe even anger. Like yeah. there's emotions tied into what I expect God to do, but God mm. is doing something different. And many times it's so much greater than what I am imagining. Yeah. I just don't see that. So I feel like <clears throat> I want to make fun of the disciples and be like, man, silly disciples. But I also often wonder, man, I think if I was one of the disciples, I would have responded the exact same way. Yeah. That I would not have seen it, that I would have been so stuck in my own thoughts and my own expectation that I would just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. You're going to be flogged. Yeah, but uh, yeah. but that's not going to happen. Yeah. Like, hearing it, but not understanding and getting it. Like, well, what does that mean? Like, yeah. is that metaphorically or does that mean actually? Yeah. When you say spit on, like, what does that mean? Like, and I also wonder... Like they've come against opposition in Jesus's ministry, but nothing like this, Yeah. right? Like this tension that's been building with the religious elite, they've probably seen that, but I wonder even if they thought the tension was good, Yeah. right? Because they're going, there's going to be a war that Jesus is going to overthrow the Roman government. So it's going to lead to war. So this tension is good. Like we're, it's it's building to something that I wonder yeah. what that was like. And you have to think about it too. Like I was just thinking about this, that, you know, in some ways the disciples aren't terribly far off from the Pharisees. Yeah. The Pharisees are just yeah. vocal about their opposition. Yeah. Whereas yeah. the disciples are a bit like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like they're a bit more to themselves, which I've, I've heard this before, you know, and, and 
I don't mean this to be insulting to Christians, but I think it's something that we have to face sometimes is, uh, is you know, how are Christians distinct from the rest of the world? Uh, I think I've heard it said once that like Christians aren't like less sinful, they're just better at hiding their sin, right? And masking their sin, um, sure. which uh, which is not a solution for anybody, Christian or not. Um, and so it's this idea of uh, the Pharisees, or, or the Pharisees are vocal about how they're, they disagree with Jesus. But the disciples might be a bit more implicit, like um, where it's like, yeah, we disagree, but we'll, like, we'll keep following you for now because we think it's still going to end up the way that we want it to be, right? Because I think even when, if I'm remembering correctly, like I think uh, uh, Peter's like, Jesus, you're not going to die. Like we're not going to let that happen to you. Yeah, right. I know that might be an anxiety that you have, but we're not going to let that happen to you. And then I think Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan, right? Yeah. You are in, this is, you are in op- that conversation. Yeah, right, like, right. I want to use that line, one line before, like one day in a conversation. You're like, give up. No. I, I don't think you should. I probably, I won't, I won't. <laughs> I just joke about those things. Um, but right, like yeah. Peter was inserting himself into the grand plan of God, right. plan of God. And, 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 and so much so that Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Like you are interfering with the redemption and the restoration of the world. And so, um. And so in this moment, the disciples have their ideas of what it'll be like, and Jesus is trying to correct them, mm-hmm. just like you would the Pharisees of like, hey, this is what God is doing, and we want you to be a part, right? Which is so gracious of Jesus not to just like kick him out, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like having, it's like being an employer and having a staff that does not get your vision, and you've been walking with them for three years, and they're like, we don't know what's going on, right? Like any normal, like most employers would be like, okay, well, I'm going to fire you because you're not on board with what we're doing, right? Um, but Jesus is so great and still continues to journey with them so yeah, yeah I did, I just was thinking like so when it comes to um, Jesus washing his disciples feet so like at Passover <laughs> yeah. like in Jerusalem and, and Jesus is in this intense te- intense teaching like by your love they'll know that you're my disciples and I'm thinking about specifically in John what is that John 13 I think yeah. could get that wrong but John 13 and Jesus is like I'm I'm going to be leaving you but a new command I give you to love one another and it's almost like Peter just ignores that part entirely and goes Jesus where are you going <laughs> yeah. like where are you like and, uh. and and it's oh, yeah. just the, so that point of like, man, they, they just continue to miss it. But I think it's yeah. also the same way we continue to miss it. Yeah. And, and I think what's interesting is that so Jesus tells them this. And I don't want to uh, let me go ahead and read verse 34. I didn't yeah. want to, but I'm going to verse 34 and then we'll just continue to talk around it. Yeah. 34 says, but they understood nothing about all these things. In fact, what he said was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Hmm. And I I just feel like so many times this is it. But I also wonder in my mind, how gracious was it of Jesus to explain and to tell them what was going to happen? Hmm. And in here, like it's almost like this thought, like the, the final thought uh, of verse 33. And, and after they flogged him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Like, it's just a quick, like, mm-hmm. insert there that Jesus is just giving kind of a, like, here's the out, uh, like, the outline of yeah. what's going to happen. And I wonder what it was like for them as disciples to even look back when Jesus did, when he died, when he was resurrected, when he appeared to them again, I don't know, years later, as mm-hmm. they're reflecting back on, hey, remember that time we were on that, the road and Jesus pulled yeah. us aside? I think they do, yeah, because I, I, in my benediction, one of the verses that I read, actually, it's right here, um, in uh, John 12, 16, says, at first, his disciples did not understand all this, yeah. right? 
But only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that all the things that have been yeah. written about him, that these things have been done to him. So yeah. it's interesting that like uh, Luke doesn't, I don't think includes that reflection, but John does, right. where there was this moment where like, oh, <laughs> wait a minute. That's what Jesus meant. He actually meant yeah. he was going to be flogged and crucified. Like yeah. he meant those things. And so, um, but the fact that like they didn't realize any of that until... Like, cause they, cause Rome killed him yeah. and that's, it didn't click for them then. They were afraid and <laughs> fleed then, yeah. but it was only after Jesus rose from the dead. They're like, oh yeah, Jesus said he was going to be crucified. Yeah. And he said, so like only like that moment of glory is when it clicked for them, which, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I don't think we should be so quick to say those silly disciples, right? Cause I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think whether or not we know it or not, like sometimes we have the same uh, temperament or the same, we, yeah. we react the same way where we look back at our lives and like, oh, like Jesus yeah. was working in all that. Yeah. Like I should have, I should have trusted him at his word, you know? So yeah. I um, think that that, like, that's so critical because I, I feel like I can't think of a specific, like, okay, here's this one time, this yeah. is the illustration or this is the example. But I feel like time and time and time and time and time again, like that's exactly what happens is that it's like, oh, yeah. That's what God was doing. And God's like, so gracious, right? Yeah, or like, or maybe it's not even like I all of a sudden I know that's what God was doing, but it's almost like a thought of going, wait, <laughs> did God do that so that I could see this and yeah. I could, whoa, like that plan is way better that's than anything so I had. That's so cool. Like I just yeah. and I, I wish I, that I had a specific example. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but mm-hmm. but I just feel like that is who we are. Yeah. And I feel like even as you're listening to this, you can probably think of a time or just that experience of going, yeah, where I thought this, it didn't happen. But then later, wow, God had worked things for good, for his good mm-hmm. and for his, for my good, for his glory. And I think that that's exactly what the disciples see here. Yeah. It was, it was hidden from them. And didn't you, you had mentioned, uh, I don't know if it was in verse 31 or verse 34, that word hidden, or was that, maybe that was a different word. Oh, I, I was talking about the word accomplished. Accomplished. That yeah. Was it. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I can mention notes. it. I'll mention this real quick for hidden. Like when I first read this, I was like, it was hidden from them. Does that mean that Jesus intentionally kept it from mm-hmm. them? Because yeah. I think that's a question that naturally comes out as we wrestle sure. with scriptures. Like it was hidden from them. We, we, we think of, uh, I mean, we think of the verb to hide and like when people hide stuff from us. So to hear to hidden, it's like, yeah. why would Jesus keep that from them? But I think it's less of that and more of a reality of their expectation. Hmm. Uh, with their expectations, it was hidden. They just couldn't comprehend it. It was as if it were behind a, a wall, behind a curtain. They just could, could not comprehend it. It was hidden from them. So that just to clarify that point. But then regarding the word accomplished. So Jesus is trying to like get them to understand like, Actually, like the one of the more important parts of my, the plan right now is for me to die, which yeah. is also everyone's least favorite part, right? Yeah. Um, but it is absolutely necessary. Yeah. Um, and I was trying not to commit any theological heresy as I went about um, some of this. But I think, I think we can speculate or at least ask the question or at least ponder that maybe the crucifixion um, out of all that Jesus does in, in Jerusalem is maybe one of the more important parts of the journey. Um, not saying it is like more important than a resurrection, but I think um, a lot of times what we do is we're like, yeah, Jesus died, but he was resurrected, right? Yeah, right. Um, we overlook Good Friday because Easter's around the corner. I think Jesus is saying like, you guys don't overlook what happened uh, you know, on Good Friday. Don't overlook that because the bulk of the work 
of my ministry comes to fruition here. And we look at the word in the, in the Greek. I can't remember the Greek word for it. Like I can't remember it to say it. But I looked and the same word that Jesus uses in verse 31 to say like all the things that the prophets wrote will be accomplished in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. The, what he says on the cross is it is a, it is finished, yeah, right. which is the same word for accomplished that we find in verse 31. And so it's interesting that the pinnacle, the moment, the culmination of Jesus' ministry happens not after he's resurrected, but right before he dies, which is the moment when everybody thought that he lost. And so right in the moment that everyone thinks that Jesus lost, he actually wins. He actually accomplishes the things that he came here to do, which is redemption, right? Creating a way for humans to have unbridled access to God, to relationship yeah. with God, right? And um, we see that in the in the tearing of the temple curtain, where we no longer need a holy of holies, but we believe that God can reside in us, that we can have a relationship with God, right? And so we see that moment happen, not at resurrection, but at the death. Yeah. And so Jesus is saying, you guys are trying to overlook all that. I don't want you to. I want you to know that this is going to happen. In fact, I want you to know that it's incredibly important that we cannot I said uh, we that that crucifixion is the foundation upon which resurrection is built. Right. So we can't experience the glory until we've experienced the shame. But that's the one thing the disciples didn't want to deal with. They didn't want to have that. They didn't want Jesus to experience that. Yeah. And I think a lot of times um, we put those expectations on Jesus where we don't want to experience um, pain and, and, and all of these things that are contrary to what we think. Um, we should be feeling. And so Jesus yeah. is trying to get it in their heads that even though it's hidden from them, that this is terribly important. In order for us to accomplish these things, I have to be crucified. Um, yeah, so I thought that language was interesting. Yeah. It, it, and it is finished and stuff. Even as you're talking about it now, what I'm thinking about in, in a believer's life, like there is that process of going, we die to self to live in Christ, right? So even yeah. this death and resurrection we experience the resurrection because of the death, yeah. both because of what Jesus has done, but also a dying to ourself and raising to new life in Jesus, like living for him. So I feel like Jesus was very much, here's the plan, here's the process, and death is important. Yeah, It's needed, it's necessary, and resurrection comes as well. So yeah. I, I just feel like that was good. And I, one of the things that you had said on Sunday, or at least this is what I wrote, so maybe it was my thoughts, but I think you said it. Says they were so focused, the disciples were so focused on Jesus's glory that they missed Jesus's plan. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that that was such a good line because most of the time, if I'm being honest, I'm so focused on, I don't think I would say this in the moment, but I'm so focused on my glory mm-hmm. that I miss Jesus's plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my thoughts or my desire or my will or my wants or my expectations. And so, man, I, I just think that I'm looking at this going, man, the, the, the disciples missed it. But yeah. I also think that uh, I would encourage you to come out this, this coming week because I think that this, it's beautiful. This blind beggar actually sees when no one else does. Like, and I'm not talking about the physical healing because there is a physical healing, but he sees and recognizes and knows who Jesus is when he's blind. And then he also physically receives healing and sight. But it's interesting. I feel like we're going to dive into that this week. So 
Um, as we're looking at this, kind of the whole understanding of here's God's plan versus ours, they didn't expect it. Mm. Um, you did, I, I want to kind of get to this question, but before I do that, you did talk about intentional blindness, I think is what you oh, called it. Inattentional. Uh, in, yeah, in, yeah. Inattentional, yeah. sorry. Yeah, I, did, I, could, I, didn't I had to read it right. like 30 times before I could say it. <laughs> can, can you talk about that a little bit more? And then yeah. also you use this illustration. I had never heard that story. Of Tom Garvey, the guy in the Never vet. heard yeah, that in my life. Like, uh, that was crazy. Yeah. How, I am just, I know that today with cameras, it probably wouldn't get away with it. But yeah. I still wonder how in the world, three yeah. years he three lived? Three years in the vet. Yeah, so this guy named Tom Garvey. I, I, dude, I don't even know how I stumbled upon this. I think I was, like, writing my sermon. And then what I do sometimes, I'm like, I'm going to take a break and go on Facebook, which is never <laughs> a great idea because I'm on there too long. Um, <laughs> but I think I stumbled upon his story. Um... And uh, and I was like, holy cow! Like this is kind. Of, this might be what happen be happening to the disciples. But all you know. Sorry, let me correct that. Cows yeah. aren't holy. All right, please continue. Cows, cows what? Cows aren't holy. Oh yeah, yeah. Whatever. That's, that's a really <laughs> bad joke. Here you guys go. can write in the comments. Go. Like Ben, don't make that joke again. Like, no, it was. Uh, no, I was just correcting your heresy. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, this guy who had been experiencing homelessness uh, got a job at Veteran Stadium where the Phillies and the Eagles played. And uh, he had a key to the closet since he worked there. And so he moved into the closet and lived there for three years. How? And I think it was a spacious closet, too. Do you know what year? Did you mention the year? 1979-81. Okay. So that was Gosh, during the World man. Series when the Eagles won in eight, or the, the Phillies won in 80. So he, like, was there. Like, I don't know if it happened in that stadium or not. I can't remember. But he was there during some World Series games just living. Like, imagine, like, yeah, it was such a good win. See you guys. And, like, go into your <laughs> closet and you'll... That's, that is such a crazy story. Yeah, so he lived there for before. 30 years. But the idea that I use that for is um, uh, there's a psychological phenomenon mm -hmm. called inattentional blindness where, let me read it the way that they had it. It's um, we fail to perceive something we didn't expect to see, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, it's like an, another example they gave is like when you're walking with your phone um, and, you know, you're just on your phone, you don't anticipate anything around you. And so you see those really funny videos of people on YouTube who walk into a fountain, right? Yeah. They fail to perceive the fountain was there because they didn't expect it had they expected it they would have stopped walked around right, but they're right. so focused on their own thing their phone right just like we sometimes are so yeah. focused on our own plan that god is trying to do something in our lives uh god's trying to execute his plan but we miss it and we walk into the fountain of our own shame because we miss god's plan for our life and so um the people didn't know or expect that this man was living in a closet because naturally they don't think People just live in closets, right? Um, and so we fail to perceive something we didn't expect to see. I think that's what happened yeah. with the disciples. And I think that yeah. happens a lot with us. When we prioritize our plan, we, we got our own, yeah. own ideas of how God should act. Sometimes we have a, our own ideas of how the Bible should function. And anything or anyone that pushes back against it or, you know, uh, anything that God could do in our lives that would cause us to um, think differently, we're like, no, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. This is like my, this is what I expect. Uh, and we fail to perceive that God could be doing something else. So, yeah. um, I'm, you know, and that's really sad that we miss out on a lot of what God does because we just are so married to our own expectations. So, yeah. So, and yeah. you also use that example of the blue dress that was around social yeah, media a couple yeah. years ago. Yeah. Like, was it blue? Was it white? And what? Blue and gold? Blue and, blue and black, white and gold were yeah. the two combinations. And uh, yeah, y'all remember that? It was a viral sensation yeah. where people were like, no, it's white and gold. But then someone looked at the same photo and would be like, no, it's blue and black. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just sometimes we, um, that's a bit more of a, a unique example because it's not like we want to see it one way or another, right. but sometimes we see it one way. We can't 
imagine or comprehend that it would be another way. Yeah. Um, and then I use another example. You could look this up: the portrait of the young lady and the elderly woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a what did remarkable. What you, you saw first? I saw the young woman first. What'd I think I saw the young woman okay. first too. I had to. I but literally. I, I had seen it in the past, so I you? knew that there was another. Like, but I think I remember seeing the young woman. Yeah. And then going, "What are you talking about?" And There's then no saw, elderly yeah. woman there. Is what I thought. Yeah. I was like, "This is ridiculous." And yeah, you could look at it, and I literally stared at it for 20 minutes until I finally googled like. I can't see it help me out, and it helped me out. Um, but yeah, it's the same. It's the same one portrait. We yeah. see a young woman and an elderly woman all in the same photo and the same person, uh, which is just super magnificent. But the thing is, is like sometimes we fail to perceive that which we don't expect to see. So if you see the young lady first, all you see is a young lady. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine that there's an elderly woman in the same photo um, until it is revealed to me, uh, you know, after some Google searches to try and figure <laughs> it out. And so we fail to perceive something which we didn't expect to see. I think it happens with a lot of things in life, but um, I think it happens a lot in our journey with God. And um, man, what a bummer to miss out on some things that God's doing just because we can't imagine that he's doing something better than, you know, we have in mind or bigger than we have in mind too. So, yeah, so I feel like my question in that becomes, and specifically when we started talking about the dress and mm -hmm. the young an old woman like you said it is a little bit different like it's our perspective and how we sure. see it. so I feel like my question is is and I guess this is both naturally but then also spiritually how do we change what we see yeah like how do we live in such a way that we we if we are stuck in a pattern of going I'm I'm not really looking to the things of God I'm yeah. kind of stuck in my own thoughts how do we begin to change our perspective or change what we see yeah. or is it even something that we can do yeah, that's such a great question. And I was, um, you know, I actually saw it on your notes uh, like 20, 30 minutes ago. I was like, oh, like, what's the answer to that? Like, I don't know. Um, I do think, though, uh, one thing that I picked up in, like, college is, like, there's some things we have to hold with a closed hand, right? Mm -hmm. The fact that Jesus is, is God, is Lord, like, that's something that I can hold very tightly to. Yeah. That's not something I sacrifice or negotiate. However, how Jesus embodies his lordship his his you know being god um i can either put expectations on what i think god's supposed to do the way that i think god should act because if i had to write the script i wouldn't say that god comes in the form of a baby right and i wouldn't say that god goes out on a cross okay yeah. um but rather so i'm holding to that he is god but i'm gonna let him shape what that looks like i'm gonna release my expectations for what I, how i think a king should act um and so i think it is a constant of evaluating what am I holding with my closed hand? Well, what am I opening with a, a, an open an open hand, right? Um, and so I think it's a dance with a lot of things in our faith that some things that it's okay. Like, I'm not going to lose my religion or my faith if I hold this with an open hand. I'm going to let scripture speak into my life and let community help me interpret scripture. Um, so I can, but, but then there's some things that like we can't negotiate, right? Like for me to say, Jesus didn't resurrect. That's a close hand issue that I should have close hand. So I would say, I do believe that to be true, right? Um, so I think we have to hold some things open with, a, with an open hand, not to say we don't care about it or we're going to dismiss it, but I think it's to say, um, to just watch, um, to let scripture speak into that understanding of things um, and then to not be so married to my own ideas that I miss out on what God does. So I think I think there's some tools to help us grow better at that. One, I do think, yeah, scripture is a big part of that. Holding things with an open hand, reading scripture. Or actually, let me, let me uh, I'll fall back on some, uh, one thing that I learned was the, uh, uh, the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Have you heard okay. of that? Um, okay. We're better yet like this hanger type thing, which, uh, uh, 
anyway, so I'm gonna I'm gonna explain this in a way that makes sense. Um, but there's like four pillars to to how we grow and learn, um, or or how we should grow in our faith journey. The first one being scripture is the biggest one, and then the rest of these three hang on scripture. Um, and so scripture is really important, but then we have our own experience. God teaches us through experience, right? Experiencing the love of church, um, you know, experiencing uh, the, uh, the your neighbor if they are poor or, you know, what they might be experiencing. Like God teaches us and shapes us through experience. So we have scripture experience and there's tradition, which we have thousands of years of people journeying through the faith. I think we have something that we can learn from them, whether it's through reading or what they got wrong or what they got right. So we have tradition that we could look back on, right? The Eucharist is a tradition that Jesus started at Passover, right? Communion. And that's something that's still practiced widely today. That is a tradition that that has been preserved, right? And so we have scripture, we have our experience, we have tradition, and reason, I think is the last one, right? God's given us critical thinking um, to wrestle with scripture. Um, I think critical thinking is a gift that God gives us uh, and invites us to use that even with scripture. Because I, I think if scripture were to, easy, were to be easy to understand, then we'd be tempted to think that we have it all figured out. Um, and so I think those are some things that we consider is, hey, what, what has God taught me through my experiences? But how do I look at those experiences in light of scripture, what the scriptures say, um, but then also in light of tradition, the thousands of years before me of of Christians being faithful to the process and working through that, and then yeah, using my own critical thinking to work through this. And then I add another one is community, right? Yeah. Most of the things that I think I've learned, I've probably I've learned from someone else, right? I've picked it up from people that I trust, and so just finding that community to help us work through these things and ask the right questions. So. I don't know if I answered your question very no, well. I feel, but like, a... I feel like, no, because I, I do agree because I think yeah. that there's some things that I hold true as absolute truths yeah. and yeah. it is a closed fist. Like you can, you will not be able to convince me that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. you you can spend all the time that you want doing it. I just, that's not an issue that I'm even looking to discuss yeah. or debate. Yeah. Like uh, I'm, I shouldn't say that like for an unbeliever, somebody that wants to talk about it, I would. But for me, my belief is solid. My, yeah. my faith is solid in that. But there's also kind of this other side of it. And I think community for me, whenever there's something that I'm not sure if I'm viewing things correctly, yeah. I, I have some trusted friends, advisors that I will ask that I'm going, hey, I'm not sure if I see this correctly. Mm. I, I, even staff members, occasionally I'll do that and go, guys, I'm not sure if I'm seeing this correctly. Mm. So I need the kind of the wisdom, the collective wisdom and insight, yeah. the Holy Spirit who speaks to all of us yeah. to to speak into this situation that I may not be seeing correctly and being open in that. Yeah. Now, when I say trusted friends and advisors, what I don't mean is that people just that agree with me and see things the way that I see things. Because I think that's- We're good when at finding those Yeah, people. we're really good at finding people that are gonna just identify with what I want and what yeah. I think. And then we're gonna be kind of in our own closed little circuit and a little yeah. bubble. And then we don't, aren't open to anything. Yeah. So I think that it's it's important to find community. And so I feel like for me, I usually, and I feel like the older I get, the more I distrust myself on certain things. Mm -hmm. There, like it almost becomes a little bit bigger gap between what I hold dear and I'm un, like unwilling to let go of it and what I just, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that gap gets a little bit bigger and going, man, I do need community. And, yeah. and obviously scripture, scripture is what we base our entire lives off mm -hmm. of how we should be managing. And, and I feel like dealing, dealing with conflict. I don't yeah. know how to do that outside of what the scripture says. Like to me that Matthew 18 mm -hmm. is the way that we deal with conflict. Mm -hmm. 
So scripture is the foundation and then yeah. these things added to it. So I feel yeah. like you're right. I, I don't, I don't think it's a, how we change our perspective. Well, you just choose to. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like it's not it, that easy. And it takes work to you. Like these are things yeah. that, you know, um, there's some things in my life and my faith journey that it took me years to come to a conclusion on. Um, so I think it's, uh, I like to describe yeah. it more as a road trip or a journey yeah. where we're, tr- you know, constantly growing and people are joining us along the way to figure those things out. Uh, and in regards to the closed fist thing, uh, you know, uh, I think the things that we should hold in the closed fist are things that would like, if we let them go, would compromise our, um, would compromise our salvation, to put it that way. Like, you know, Jesus being Lord, it's a pretty important thing. Um, But there are some things theologically that I don't want to let go, but maybe I can have an open hand to refine and reform my my understanding of that thing, right? Especially, I I believe this with young people, with teenagers, a lot of times they acquire things, but then they ask more questions about them when they get older and think more critically. That's not a bad thing. If anything, that refines the process, but you can only ask questions about the things that you have open hands with, um, and then it refines that thing, and and, and you grow deeper in your knowledge and understanding of it, which I think is a gift from God. Um, So I'd say the things with closed hands are those things that are crucial to our salvation, um, perhaps, whereas, you know, everything else, even some scripture that we wrestle with, we're holding it still. We're not letting it go. It's just an open hand instead of a closed fist. And that way, God can hopefully speak into our understanding of things, use people, tradition, scripture, or reason to help us grow in those things. So, yeah. So I feel yeah. like, yeah, so hopefully that helps you wherever you're at in your faith and in your walk. I would encourage you, if you do have any questions, by all means, feel free to email us. You can text us 610-869-2140. You can email us overtime at clcfamily.church. In fact, I am just going to double check. Yeah, I didn't see any overtime questions in that mailbox. So I just checked it. Nothing at least right now. But if you have questions, we would encourage you to to send them in. Let us know what they are, whether it's related to that week's message or not. We love questions. We love when you, the listeners, the viewers, um, can help us produce kind of what what our content is. So um, as we do kind of continue to work through this, one of the things that you said was that sometimes it's not accidental. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. it's not just this you know, I, I don't even recognize or realize that my mm-hmm. perspective is off. Sometimes it's we want to customize Jesus into our own image. Mm-hmm. And you use the illustration of the Thomas Jefferson, Jefferson Bible yeah, yeah. where he cut out Scripture, yeah. which my mind right away went to the, the last verse in Revelations that says don't, to, mm-hmm. don't take don't away modify. or add any yeah. words. And I'm like... <gasps> Ooh, yeah. Thomas Jefferson, what did you do? I actually had a very fascinating, I appreciate, um, you know, we always appreciate conversation in the wake of sermons because like we're not all you know arbiters of knowledge like (laughs) on all things someone did email me saying like uh how they understood the jefferson situation differently that maybe he modified scripture and i appreciate the dialogue via email that uh, he modified scripture to make a more condensed version to reproduce to then give out as a missionary type thing um so so there's that perspective is a bit more controversial than i originally thought um but as i was reading it i my understanding. So if you're watching, you're like, that's how I understood it, Christian. I'll just share my the my vantage point. What, what I read was that while that might have been the original intent, um, what I understood, and I'd be glad to work through this with anybody, is that it never ended up being such, but rather it was a reflection. He kept it for personal use, and it was something that reflected his own struggles and doubts with faith. Um, because to to share something like that with people would be could ha- 
caused him to receive a lot of criticism, especially in a time where, um, you know, where the people in America as a country as a whole were much more religious in nature. Those uh, kind of the, uh, in the time of the modernism, which faith was still, uh, you know, a big, uh, um, big facet in the country then culturally um, and, and practically. And so uh, it would have been like widely, he would have been scrutinized or even punished for doing something like this. So he kept it, what I understood was he kept it to himself. Um, but my whole point there was sometimes, um, whether it was intentional on Jefferson's part or just incidental, sometimes what we do is we still curate and shape this Jesus figure because what they understood the Jefferson Bible to be is that, um, you know, and maybe it's hard to speculate or to exactly pinpoint his intentions, but what the, the text was in and of itself um, was a, a document that he had that was not distributed, in my understanding, but was one that removed some of the things that would make Jesus God. And it preserved his teachings and things like that. And so I'm still learning, still growing there. But uh, if that was Jefferson's intent to to undeify Jesus, then I that's think a dangerous place, which is a dangerous place, but that's something that a lot of people do nowadays. Yeah. Whether they, it could be, it might not be undeifying Jesus, but it could be saying Jesus is a Republican or Jesus is a Democrat, right? Going with political parties, like Jesus is this, and we we create these molds and these boxes, and we say Jesus, you're gonna fit in this box. Um, but what we do is when we put Jesus in a box, we're no longer worshiping Jesus; we're worshiping the image or the model of Jesus that we made. And so yeah. that whole point was to say, sometimes we're a bit more intentional to customize Jesus. Yeah. It's not just inattentional blindness, but it is, Jesus, I'm going to form you into the person I like. So that if Jesus came back today, one theologian, or some theologians think this, that if Jesus came back today, a lot of churches would crucify him all over again. Because this Jesus of the Bible no longer fits our understanding and our created and curated Jesus is, right? And so, um, so in this moment, we see that Jesus is pushing back against the expectations of the disciples. Um, and uh, it leads to his death, right? And so, yeah. So it was a good conversation over email. You know who you are if you're watching. Super appreciate you. And I appreciate a good dialogue. Um, but that was my understanding of the whole Jefferson thing. Um, and, and and regardless of maybe, you know, regardless of, of all the details of that, what we can say is there's a problem when we curate and customize Jesus. And right, so, right. Uh, yeah. One of the things I think you yeah. said this was a quote. I, I didn't get who, you, who said it. But you said, our idea of God tells us more about ourselves than, uh, or uh, tells yeah. us more about ourselves than God. That was Thomas Merton, which is funny. Yeah. Is Tom Garvey was the first guy I mentioned. Thomas Jefferson was the second. And then Thomas There's Merton. There's a lot of Toms. There's a lot of Toms. Uh, Thomas Merton's a monk and theologian. Yeah. And yeah, he kind of says that. And I think that's true. And which is why we have to be careful, um, careful about, uh, you know, our understanding of who God is, because that does shape how we participate in the kingdom. Yeah, I feel like that was the last kind of thought that I had yeah. was that you you really kind of hammered that home. Our um, understanding of God changes our participation. It does. How we participate yeah. with God. Yeah. Was there anything more that you wanted to expound on? Like, I feel like you did a great yeah. job on Sunday kind of teaching that, hitting that point home. But I didn't know if there was anything else or yeah. additional that you wanted to. I would say only you know your expectations of God. Yeah. And so if you treat God or um, or the church or, you know, anything else like this mall metaphor that I used, yeah, right. um, like if you, you can look at your life and determine, do I treat faith more like a mall or a hospital? Um, because the image was that like in malls, you go expecting to receive something, right? The focus is kind of 
you and your expectations. And so you go to receive something and what happens when you don't get what you wanted, how you wanted, when did you when you wanted it, you get mad, right? And you get frustrated. And so a lot of times to see people do this in the church and I, you know, I think maybe the church is guilty of um, giving people the expectation that once they come to the faith, all their problems will like disappear, right? That's not the case. I think all of our problems now have purpose in the church, but they definitely don't disappear. And so, um, so people come to the church and when God doesn't fix their life, like in the time that they want, they're like, what's going on? Like, this is not what I expected. And so they get mad and bail. We see people ask this question all the time. Why does God let good things happen or bad things happen to good people, right? Um, that's a question of our expectation of how God's supposed to act, which is a great conversation for another day if you're ever interested. Um, but like, why does God not do this? Why does he not answer my prayer in this way? And it's not bad that we are experiencing that frustration, but I think it's bad that we put that expectation on God because as God told us all along in scripture, like, that that's, that his role is not to make everything butterflies and happy and rainbows and stuff, but rather, um, God says, you're going to have trial, but I promise you, your pain's going to have a purpose. I promise you that it's not in vain. I promise you that one day that you'll look back and say, all of those trials were worth it because of what I've experienced now, right? And so, um, so instead of viewing God as a mall or a vending machine where if we don't get what we want, if we don't get what we expected, we bail and we write a negative review on Yelp and leave, right? We should be treating it like a hospital, right? We're all sick and broken and in needing a need of healing. And so hospitals, but hospitals are never a fun place to go to, no, right? No, no. I never, even if I'm visiting someone, like it's just, it's just d- difficult yeah. or if I'm going myself, like no one looks forward to going, but, but it's necessary. Like we see it yeah. as a necessity. And so in some ways, the, the metaphor is um, we should treat faith more like a hospital. We're all sick. We're all broken and we need a great physician. Um, And the verb that I use is we need to admit ourselves into the hospital, which is kind of a play on words because one, the way that we kind of start the faith journey is through confession, through this admitting that I don't have it all together, this admitting that I'm sick, uh, and this admitting that I need help, I need a savior, right? And so we admit ourselves into the ER, into the hospital. So we come to church, we join community knowing that everyone's imperfect, we're all broken, but we're all here with the same intentions to be redeemed and restored. And then to go out and bring other sick people in so that we can all be redeemed and restored. Um, and the, uh, the, I kind of, this metaphor uh, makes God out to be the great physician. And he's wielding a scalpel, which is scary and difficult. Like he even talks about the Bible as a double-edged sword. I kind of think more of like a scalpel where scripture cuts out the mess in me. And that's painful and that's hurtful. But uh, the physician's not prioritizing our our feeling good, our being mm. happy. It's prioritizing our well-being, our, our mm. life like a good physician. And so in this way, God is very lovingly and graciously trying to invite us to uh, crucify to cut out our pride and all of the sin laid down so he can begin a work in us but that can't begin unless I admit myself right and so um so how do we view faith and, and only you can answer this question for you do you view it like a mall where if it doesn't meet your expectations right if the church doesn't meet your expectations you get mad um and I'm not saying like you can't like voice like frustrations and stuff but like um but how are we treating the the epitome of our faith, um, or do you view it like a mall where like, ah, I, I don't have it all together. I know everyone at church doesn't have it all together, um, but we all can agree on one thing, that, that, that we need the great physician and that we'll admit ourselves into God's care, into his care. And so I think it's just a constant practice of that. Um, 
And I think that should be our expectation in some ways, because I think that might be more in line of what God says in Scripture. Um, so let's think of it like a hospital, not like a shopping mall, because the mall will always let you down, right? And so our expectations, if we have those expectations of God, then God will always let us down. But it's because we have the wrong expectations, and we see that with the disciples, and we see it with ourselves. And so let's just expect that God is going to do what he said he did, uh, will do, which is redeem and restore everything, which is the, the image of a, a great physician works a lot better than that, with that. So. So with that, that is about all the time that we yeah. have. We're doing well on time. We're about to. So you've not lied to them yet because it's 59 minutes. We've got minutes one minute, minute to be under an hour. So I can so, talk for two no, minutes. No, no, no. That's okay. Uh, do you have any other thoughts, actually? No, no, okay. no. <laughs> so I do want to say thank you so much for joining us. We really do hope and pray that this challenges and encourages you in your walk and your faith. We want to encourage you to come back. We will be in week three of Road Trip Series as we continue through the book of Luke. We'll be wrapping up the chapter 18 this week. So we're excited for it. I think that God has a lot to say in this to us. Um, so we would encourage you to come back out. If you have any questions about this or any of our other upcoming, we would love to hear from you. You can email us overtime at clcfamily.church or you can call or text us 610-869-2140. So thanks a lot. We hope that you have a blessed week and we will see you later. So see you guys. Take care. Thanks for coming.